Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible with me this morning and turn to the Epistle of Joy. By now you know the Epistle of Joy is the book of Philippians, and we're opening our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell, and yet every chapter of this wonderful epistle exudes joy. If ever there was a book that is fit for our times, surely the book of Philippians is an exact match to our needs during this hour. After all, happiness is circumstantial, but joy is the permanent possession of the believer provided for us by the power of the Spirit of God. I love how someone has said it, joy is the flag that flies over the castle of faith when the king is present. Our king, after all, wants us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We're opening our Bibles today to Philippians chapter 2, and our focus will be beginning in verse 16 down through the end of the chapter. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 16, where we read, Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I also myself shall come shortly. For I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants." For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard, you had heard rather, that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, that God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have been, had sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, or his life rather, to supply your lack of service toward me. I'd like to speak this morning on what it means to find joy in ministry. What it means to find joy in ministry as we look at Philippians 2, verses 16 to 30. Let's bow together before the Lord this morning. Father, this morning... I pray that you would help our minds to fix on your word, remove us from distractions. May the Spirit of God move among us so that we might be chiseled into the image of Christ. Lord, when your word is heard, we know that a work is done spiritually on, you, on our hearts. And so we depend upon you to do that work that is necessary so that we might serve you and ultimately hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray, Lord, for servants who have gathered here this morning, some with arms who are hanging down and knees that have become feeble. I pray that you'd strengthen them by the message of your word this morning, by the power of your spirit. And, Lord, that we go out from this place saying it's been good to gather 
not today in the house of the Lord, but in the land that the Lord has consecrated in this day for us to serve him. Lord, that we go out from this place thanking you for the weather that you've provided, thanking you for the fellowship that we can enjoy. But most of all, thanking you for your word that it may be hid in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And Lord, I pray for anyone who may have come into this service this morning who needs to know Christ as Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In a commercial that aired back in 1993, Charles Barkley famously said, I'm not a role model. Just because I can dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Our world seems to be devoid of role models. Devotional writer J. Oswald Sanders was right when he wrote these words. Each generation has to meet and resolve its own leadership problems. We today are facing an acute crisis of leadership. The church has not escaped this dearth of authoritative leadership. Her voice, which once sounded the clarion call of hope to beleaguered humanity, is now strangely muted. Her influence in the world community has become minimal. The salt has largely lost its savor, and the light has lost its radiance. It's said that when Raphael was painting the frescoes of the Vatican, that a couple of cardinals walked in and wanted to offer their opinion. And one said, the face of the Apostle Paul is too red. And Raphael responded, he blushes to see whose hands the church has fallen. And so today, the church is in need of role models. We open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and as we open our Bibles to Philippians 2, we find three very powerful role models of what it means to minister as Christ would have us minister. These role models are placed in Scripture, and they're important for us to consider. Thomas Brooks, the 17th century Puritan, said, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. And in verses 16 to 30, example after example is set before us. Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, models for all those who would be worthy ministers. In verses 16 to 18, Paul is seen to be a minister willing to sacrifice everything. In verses 19 to 24, Timothy is set forward as a minister who's willing to serve everyone. And then in verses 25 to 30, a man whose name is seldom considered, Epaphroditus, a minister who is willing to suffer everywhere. Now Jesus Christ is the Christian's chief and considered role model. But there are those men that are placed before us in God's word who stand as role models also, who knew what it meant to find joy in ministry, who shared through their life journey what it meant to be faithful, who stand for us as role models today. And so we look at them this morning in order for our hearts to be challenged. And we see the Apostle Paul, and we learn that a minister is willing to sacrifice everything. Beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all, 
For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. These words are written from a Roman prison cell. The Apostle Paul is awaiting the verdict of the Roman emperor. Would he live or would he die? Powerful then to consider that he says, if I be offered upon the sacrifice of your faith. In verse 17, when the Apostle Paul speaks of this offering upon the sacrifice of the faith of his fellow believers, he uses a very powerful image. He reaches back into the Old Testament and he uses the imagery of the drink offering. In Numbers 15, the 10th verse, the Bible says, Thou shalt bring a drink offering, half a hint of wine, for an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. As the animal was being sacrificed upon the altar, as it was being consumed by fire and by heat, a drink offering was poured out, immediately evaporating and immediately sending forth a sweet smell. Paul here calls his life a drink offering. This imagery is ever so powerful because it's presenting two truths that you and I need to get a hold of. Truth number one is this. The ultimate reason for the Christian life is to be a sacrifice for the Savior. Were you to watch the Old Testament sacrifice as it was being offered, you would see something like this. The altar would be prepared. The wood would be placed. And then the animal would be placed upon the altar. The fire would begin to consume that animal sacrifice. And then in a very special ceremony with very great significance that the Apostle Paul is calling upon, that drink offering would be poured and poof, into smoke it would go, sending forth a sweet smell. What a powerful picture this is then of the reason for the Christian life. We friends, you and I, if we would serve the Lord with wisdom, need to understand that our lives, which are but a vapor, our lives are to be poured out on the offering that the Savior has provided when he offered himself once and for all for our sins. Hebrews 10 and verse 12 says, Jesus offered himself as the once and for all sacrifice for sin. When he died upon the cross, he did that which none of us could do. He offered a perfect sacrifice without sins for the sins of the whole world. And now he's calling upon us as his followers to offer ourselves as sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Through your acts of service, through your acts of obedience, every time you're convicted in heart that to do that would be to sin, and the Spirit of God stirs in your heart to turn you from sin to righteousness. Every single moment of turning to the Lord whom you love because he loved you. In every one of those moments, you're offering your life, this picture says, as a living sacrifice, as a drink offering to the Lord. So that this life, which is but a vapor, is to be offered up as a willing sacrifice, an aroma that pleases the God of heaven who loved us and gave himself for us. So the ultimate reason for your life and the ultimate reason for my life as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we live for the one who loved us. We live to be a drink offering, a sacrifice for his glory. 
And there's a second truth that ought to leap off this page. As Paul, this minister who is willing to sacrifice everything, is showing by standing, even in the prison cell, and that is this. The ultimate result, listen, the ultimate result of the Christian's life of sacrifice, the ultimate result of the Christian's life of sacrifice for the Savior will always be joy. Now that may seem to some to be counterintuitive, but it's nonetheless true. There is absolute joy that's bound up in a willingness to sacrifice for the Savior, to live for him who lived for us. The husband who loves his wife finds joy in sacrificing to minister to her needs. The wife who loves her husband finds joy in sacrificing to minister to her husband's needs. The parent who loves a child finds such joy in sacrificing to, need, to meet the needs of that child. And the ultimate result of a Christian life of service for the Savior is unequaled, inexpressible, undeniable joy. Joy overflowing and full of glory. Yea, he says in verse 17, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Is your life filled with joy this morning and service for your Savior? you find your heart palpitating as you consider his word with the joy and blessing of being able to be considered a living sacrifice, an odor that's pleasing to the Lord, a drink offering, if you will? Would you make a commitment today? Would you make a commitment now that your life would be used for the Savior so that you can discover that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory? In the book entitled The Long March, the true story of John and Betty Stram is given. They were martyred in 1934 while serving the Lord in China. They were taken captive by the Chinese communist. They were in their 20s. They had one little child. They were recent graduates from Bible school. They were serving the Lord in China when they were taken captive and led out on the long march across China, which would ultimately lead to their martyrdom. As the Strams overheard the hungry Chinese soldiers speaking and placing their child on a bayonet and roasting their child over a fire, they witnessed something that was profound. An elderly Chinese man said to the soldiers, why would you do that? That little one has never done anything. Why don't you let him go? And the soldiers said to the old farmer, Will you trade your life for the life of the child? And the farmer said yes. And so it was that that old farmer was martyred, butchered, even before the eyes of the Strams. While that was happening, the soldier turned his eyes on missionary Stram and thought about making him to be the next one to die. At that moment, Mr. Chang, an old medical seller, who had not been very bold in his testimony for Christ, stood up and pleaded with the soldiers for the lives of the missionaries. Are you a Christian also? said the soldier. Yes. And so it was that Mr. Chang was dragged away, and he too was butchered. The missionaries fell to their knees and began to intercede for Mr. Chang. In reply, the communist soldier said, 
to John Stram, kneel there on your knees. The missionary got on his knees and those who witnessed the event said there was an incredible look of joy on his face. The Chinese executioner took his sword and began the spin of the executioner and suddenly the sword went through and severed the head of John Stram. They said that Betty quivered and then she passed out over the body of her husband in shock with regard to what she had witnessed. And a few moments later, her life too was taken for the Savior. Now God is not calling, it seems, for us to be martyrs this morning. While some of us are martyrs in our own minds. God has not placed upon us the responsibility and privilege of being martyrs this morning. But he has placed upon us the privilege of being ministers. And he asks us the question, are you willing to sacrifice everything? Are you willing to be a drink offering for the Savior? The Apostle Paul says he finds joy in this, and you will too. You see, as Ken Collier has so well said, there are just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Who will you please? Those who are worthy ministers are willing to sacrifice everything in joy, in service for the Lord. The Apostle Paul stands as a model minister in this passage, and so does Timothy. When we look at Timothy, we learn that a minister is willing to serve everyone. Look with me beginning in verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. In many ways, Timothy was the authorized representative of the Apostle Paul. Timothy's name is mentioned 24 times in the New Testament. Timothy actually was involved in helping the Apostle Paul, probably by acting the part of a secretary in the writing of the epistle to the Romans, the Corinthians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians, and to Philemon. Timothy was from a multicultural family. You'll recall that his father was a Greek, his mother was a Jewess. He was from the city of Lystra, which is modern-day Turkey. He did not have the same pedigree of, as the Apostle Paul at all, but the Apostle Paul shared the gospel, and during his first missionary journey, Timothy heard the gospel and came to Jesus Christ as Savior. It was during the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey that he invited Timothy to begin to travel with him, and Timothy soon became an invaluable partner. He partnered with the great apostle to the Gentiles. Timothy could soon boast an amazing resume. He was there for the planting of church after church. His passport was filled with the stamps of so many different ports and cities. But Timothy was not one to boast. No, verse 22, Paul says, Timothy served with him in the gospel. If the Apostle Paul's epitaph were to be, he sacrificed everything, Timothy's epitaph would certainly be, he served everyone. And as we look at what Paul writes about Timothy, we learn that a Christ-severance 
a Christ-centered servant looks like this. A Christ-centered servant must first be compatible. In verse 20, Paul says, I have no man like-minded. Literally, he's saying, Timothy is a soulmate to me. We share the same burden. We share the same philosophy of ministry. We're compatible together. When Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 16, he lists so many different Romans who lived in the city of Rome and who were believers, who were part of the church there in Rome. But you see what the Apostle Paul says in verse 21 with regard to so many who were around him in Rome, so many who were around him in ministry. He says, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But the Christ-centered servant who's aligned in philosophy and burden sets aside personal ambition because he's compatible in mission and seeks the things of Christ. He simultaneously then is seeking the best for others. Timothy is not living for his own agenda. He's living out the agenda that God has for him. He's completely compatible in the mission that Christ wants him to do. And a Christ-centered servant is not only compatible, he's compassionate. In verse 20, Paul says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Timothy's compassion for others was genuine. He genuinely was concerned about the state of other believers. He was a natural. Now Galatians 5 says in verse 13, here's a command of God, in love, serving one another. But it seems Timothy did not need to read Galatians 5. It just was springing up in him. He did not need to be instructed about loving service. He was a natural in service for others. Friend, our world is in desperate need of compassionate Christians who will set aside their own agenda in order to put forward the things of Christ. Dwight Pentecost said it better than I could. When he laments the need for compassionate servants in our age, he says this, Here are saints to be taught. No one cares. Here are wounded hearts to be bound up. No one cares. Here are men to be reached for Christ. No one cares. Here are children to be taught and trained and guided in the things of the Lord. And no one cares. Why? Too busy? Too preoccupied with their own business. In the end, no one cares. When I look at the life of Timothy, I see that a Christ-centered servant needs to be committed. In verse 22, Paul says, You know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul's last letter was addressed to Timothy. And as he addressed his last letter in the last chapter, he says these sorrowful words. In my last trial, no man stood with me. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved the things of this world. Do thy diligence, Timothy, to come unto me. And then he speaks to Timothy, and bring my cloak, and bring the books also. When Paul sent Timothy to Philippi, he sent them a compatible, compassionate, committed servant. He sent them a man who put the needs of others before his own. Timothy would serve the Lord in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Philippi. He was simply committed to serve 
everyone. You see, the committed servant, listen, the committed servant is the one who will sit with you when you're in the hospital. The committed servant is the one who will sit quietly when you grieve. The committed servant is the one who will be available at a moment's notice in a time of crisis. The committed servant is one who will lend a hand when there's work to be done. When others could not or would not travel to be with Paul, Timothy was there. And he made a difference. Would you be such a committed servant? Many of you know the name Jackie Robinson. You know Jackie Robinson's name because he was first to break the so-called color barrier in Major League Baseball. My, how they jeered him, and my, how they booed him in Major League stadiums. And my, how it hurt, but it especially hurt when he went home to Brooklyn. And in an errant play, his own fans, the people there in Brooklyn, began to boo and ridicule and jeer. The shortstop on the team was a man by the name of Pee Wee Reese. During the time when Jackie Robinson was being booed by his own fans, <laughs> Pee Wee Reese came over from shortstop and put his arm around the brave man who was breaking the color barrier in the Major League Baseball and simply stood there with his arm around his teammate's shoulder looking at the crowd. That little man with a strong arm on that day, according to Jackie Robinson, saved his career. Do you think that Pee Wee Reese didn't catch some grief for standing with a friend? Of course he did. But he was not going to allow a friend, he was not going to allow a teammate to face persecution alone. Timothy wouldn't either. He would stand with Paul. He would be where Paul wanted him to be, standing with the Philippians. He was willing to serve anyone. And friend, you can be that kind of servant too. You don't have to have a high and mighty education to serve the Lord. You simply have to have a compassionate heart and a commitment that says, I'm going to stand with those who stand for Christ. Those who know the joy of ministry discover that Paul found joy being a minister willing to sacrifice. And Timothy found joy being a minister willing to serve. Then beginning in verse 25, we're introduced to a man whose name is only found here in the New Testament. His name is Epaphroditus. And as we look at Epaphroditus, we discover that a minister is willing to suffer everywhere. A real God-sent minister, if you're looking for a role model, you need to look no further. A real God-sent minister is willing to suffer everywhere. You see, Paul was an apostle. You would expect great things of him. And Timothy was a pastor. And you'd expect some wonderful things of him. But Epaphroditus, why he was a layman. He was sent from the church at Philippi all the way to Rome. Simply to be a blessing to the Apostle Paul. In verse 25 we read that he was the messenger who came from the church in Philippi to minister to Paul's wants. In other words, Epaphroditus brought a financial gift from the Philippians to Paul there in Rome. But he did more than that. Epaphroditus visited the Apostle Paul in a place where very few people would be willing to visit. He knew that when he went there to Rome and identified with Paul in that prison cell, he put his life on the line. What would he do, this layman? Well, likely he did Paul's laundry. Likely he brought Paul his meals. 
It's likely that Epaphroditus made sure that Paul was properly bathed. He looked after the needs of the apostle. So we look at Paul's description of Epaphroditus. Paul does not describe Epaphroditus as some kind of a low life or a lowly servant. Paul did not place himself on a pedestal and put down Epaphroditus. Paul instead speaks with words of great respect and appreciation for this layman. Paul calls Epaphroditus in verse 25 a fellow believer. He calls him my brother. In fact, nine times the Apostle Paul is going to use that wonderful word that speaks of equality, that speaks of family. Paul was born a Jew. He was trained in the echelons of the Jewish religion by Gamaliel, the great rabbi, Epaphroditus. His name means belonging to Aphrodite. Well, he was born into a pagan home. Yet Paul was his brother. Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow believer. And he recognizes that Epaphroditus is a fellow laborer. In verse 25, he says he's a companion and fellow laborer. While Epaphroditus would never write a New Testament epistle, he would never plant a church. It's likely he never pastored a church. Yet he was a fellow laborer. And today around this field, there are those who are fellow laborers. We are fellow laborers with one another. Some who are Sunday school teachers and some who are nursery workers and some who are across the street today ministering to the children the gospel that they need to hear. Some who carried chairs and some who simply greeted and promised to pray. Fellow laborers, companions and fellow laborers. Paul calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier in verse 25. Now he was not chained to the Praetorian Guard. That was Paul's responsibility. But he was nevertheless involved in the Lord's work and so he was involved in the Lord's army. He was on the front lines and he was on the front lines because he simply ministered. That word minister is a Greek word, liturgeo. We get our word liturgy. It means doing the work of the Lord without expectation of any financial remuneration. He was simply there volunteering his time to serve. And when we look at the difficulties that Epaphroditus faced, we recognize that this path of joy <laughs> was certainly an unusual path. In verse 26, the Apostle Paul says of Epaphroditus, he longed after you. He was homesick for his friends in Philippi. And then he says, and he was full of heaviness. Fully, full of heaviness. Now that's the Greek word agomeno. We get our word agony. It's the same word that was used of Jesus when Jesus suffered the agonies of the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a very emotional word. It's telling us that Epaphroditus was sunk down into some measure of deep depression. He was exceeding sorrowful. But remember, happiness is circumstantial. But joy is the permanent possession of all those who know the Lord. Yes, this man suffered a measure of emotional depression, and you may as well. In service for the Lord, there are times when our hearts are so heavy that there are no words to express the burdens that we care, we carry rather. And this man suffered physically. In verse 27, he was sick nigh unto death. Literally, he was at death's door. But verse 27 continues, but God had mercy on him. Sometimes God graciously restores those who are ill. Not always. Sometimes he restores them with graduation to heaven. But in this case, Epaphroditus was restored to health. 
Epaphroditus was not exercising some spiritual demand that he had the right to make that God would heal him. He was simply faithful in the service of the Lord. And when we ask the question, what motivated Epaphroditus to minister this way? So that he went through the valley of despond and so he was burdened with physical affliction. Look at verse 30. For the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service to me. You see that phrase, not regarding his life? It's a translation of a very technical and interesting Greek word. The Greek word is para-balumai. Para-balumai. I feel like asking you to say it with me this morning, but I won't do that. But it's an important word. It's only used here in the New Testament. It's important for us, especially as Baptists, to consider. Because this is the Greek word that means to bet or to gamble. And we all know that Baptists don't do that. But this passage says that Epaphroditus did. In verse 30, when we read, he did not regard his own life, literally we read, Epaphroditus gambled his life to come to Rome in order to minister to the Apostle Paul. The early Christians called those who were willing to risk their lives to serve the Lord, parabolumai, parabolumai, the gamblers, the riskers. In fact, in 252 AD, such a terrible plague came to Carthage that Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage, called upon the people in his congregation to be parabolumai, to be risk takers. When no one else would bury the bodies, the parabolumai would. When no one else would minister to the sick, the parabolumai would. The parabolumai would visit the ill, the parabolumai would bury the bodies. They were willing to suffer everywhere for the Lord. How do they do it? The same way you and I can do it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross and is set down today at the right hand of the throne of God. Friend, there's joy to be found in ministry. Paul was a minister who was willing to sacrifice everything. He was a minister, we find, it's, that served alongside Timothy, who was willing to serve everyone. He was ministered to by a fellow by the name of Epaphroditus who was willing to suffer everywhere. In a world that is destitute of role models, you need look no further than these wonderful role models. And hear the wonderful words that the Apostle Paul shares in verses 17 and 18 once again. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. This morning, God is calling upon some in this place to follow after those who have been set before us in God's word. To be willing to sacrifice everything. Popularity, prestige, positions, power. To be willing to serve everyone. Humbly, graciously, committed to be that one who comes alongside, to be willing to suffer both emotionally and physically in order to know that there's joy in ministry. Friend, if you're missing joy in your Christian life, if you don't have that joy unspeakable and full of glory, let me challenge you on the basis of God's word. Philippians chapter 2 begins with a strong challenge that we would be unified, of one mind, 
It represents the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who left heaven's glories to give his life for our sins. And then it holds forward before us the challenge of lives that have gone before us who knew the joy of ministry. And you can know it too. But you'll have to commit yourself to be like Paul or Timothy or Epaphroditus. Will you stand with me please as we pray? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, this morning, we thank you for your word. What a challenge we see in every line. What testimonies are left for us to consider. And Lord, I pray today for those who have gathered in this place, some who have drifted, some who are just holding on to tradition. Oh Lord, I pray that you'd stir our hearts today to be your true servants, to find joy unspeakable and full of glory as we follow after the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one looking around this morning. Would you examine your heart? Every Sunday ought to be an opportunity to reassess. After all, as we worship the Lord and give him glory for what he's done for us, there ought to be a reassessment. There ought to be a calling back. There ought to be a challenge that the Spirit of God places upon our hearts as we examine our ways. What if this were your last Sunday? What if the Lord called you home? What if the Lord came? Would your heart be right with him? Are you faithful in his service today? This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.